You are listening to Cut to Newsletter Speaks, the podcast. This is series three, episode number 15 for Wednesday, May the 17th, 2023. It's JJ Sefton along with my good friend CBD and uh, joining us again and hopefully without any technical difficulties, please God. Uh, after a, a fairly long and unintended absence is our good friend and co-blogger in arms over at Ace of Spades, Joe Mannix. Gentlemen, good afternoon. How's everybody doing? I'm doing fine. Joe, how are you doing? Doing well. Thank you all. I'm glad. Well, great. Obviously, the, the big thing in the news is the Durham report. Uh, I'm not so sure how huge it is, but it is certainly uh, taking up a fair amount of bandwidth on the in the blogosphere. I don't know whether it's important in terms of the legality of what happened, but I think it's vitally important in terms of showing the American people that we've got a bunch of crooks running the Justice Department. Absolutely right. I I agree with you. I think, and sadly, this is the case that no one will ever face any real, you know, criminal consequences for their actions. This this um, being everyone from Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton to the heads of the uh, CIA, the NSA, the FBI, uh, Clapper, Comey at the time, and uh, who's the other one? Uh, John Brennan, the communist who ran the CIA. Uh, So they will never face any real consequences in terms of of punishment. The fact that they were able even to do this is, is is a real indicator of the sickness of our society and of our governmental institutions up until that point. I mean, I've often made the case, I think David Harsanyi had a a column saying John Brennan should 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 swing for this in a democracy. John Brennan would would swing for this, and I'm going in a real democracy. If this is a democracy, and it isn't, it's a republic. But it, let's use the, that term. How John Brennan even got into the CIA, let alone rose to the top slot in the corporation, is just a mystery to me. And this happened going back, you know, 35, 40 years when he was fresh out of college. But in terms of exposing this, yes, this is crucial. It finally proves what we all knew from the very beginning. That all this was was uh, an operation to smear Donald Trump using the, the uh, institutions, the law enforcement and intel intelligence institutions to create this Russia collusion hoax. And in, in fact, it even involves Russian agents that Hillary Clinton uh, contracted to do this uh, in order to uh, sabotage his 2016 uh, possibilities, as well as cover up her massive crimes in the email server scandal, which to this day, uh, no one is really ever talking about. But uh, at least it exposes it to a broader audience, hopefully. But then again, of course, the propagandists in the media are claiming that this is a nothing burger and there's nothing to see here at all. And it's it's just it's nonsense and a lot of noise, which is interesting because many of the people who are the propagandists and the big mouthpieces happen to be some of the key players like this. Peter Strzok and Andrew Weissman. And I think what's his name? Andrew McCabe. These people became analysts on cable news, and they're actually working for the for the CIA, the FBI, and the Department of Justice. So anyway, yes, CBD, important that it's out there, and uh, what happens as a result of that from a political standpoint is, is anybody's guess. I'm not sure I agree, because part of what you said there, JJ, around their nothing will come of it, and in the press it's all a nothing burger, I think a big piece of that is that Durham handed them that conclusion on a silver platter. He outlined all of the various crimes and misbehavior that went on and then made no recommendations, didn't call for an indictment. So it's just, yeah, this is what happened. It is what it is, water under the bridge. Let's go ahead and move on. And the press will, of course, obligingly move the ball down the field in that direction. So in in terms of people who knew what was going on, most, if not all of us, have known this for many years. And Durham did his job. He investigated it. He found that they did indeed do all those things that they've been accused of doing. And then said, yeah, so, I mean, the the press will oblige him in that. And they are. It's a nothing burger. And in part, that's because he said it's a nothing burger. This buys into, uh, for new listeners, uh, Joe Mannix is not sanguine about the salvation of America through the federal government. And this is just more data for him to prove his point that any salvation that may occur is going to occur at the state and local level. And it's unfortunate, but I actually tend to agree with him that Durham did his job. um, And that is ultimately he is a functionary in the deep state. His job was to expose whatever minimum 
uh, criminality occurred and then allow the compliant media to kick the can down the road. And I think Durham is more like Bill Barr than he is like John Brennan in that I don't think Barr or Durham were actively involved in this conspiracy for my Russia stuff. But both of them are, and, and this is how I described Barr, and I think it applies to Durham as well. Both of them are company men and they will protect the company. They want to protect the integrity of the DOJ. They want to protect the integrity of the IC. So they will do the minimum possible to try to appease a few of the people who know what's going on. They'll acknowledge that there was some moderate amount of wrongdoing due to a few bad apples here and there. But ultimately, they want to defend the DOJ. They want to defend the intelligence community. And they've done so. That's really where their loyalty lies is with the institution rather than anything else. And to come out and say, yep, this is flatly criminal. This is deeply corrupt. This is entirely subverted and we need radical action to fix it. They're not going to do that because that's their house. Here's the thing, Joe and, and CBD, is that, you know, yeah, there was some criminality, but the, the, the criminality was was the basis for the persecution of Donald Trump and everybody for the last however many years that he colluded with Vladimir Putin to steal the election from 26 of 2016, which 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 is a major, major thing. But uh, that said, and, and you're saying that he's trying to protect the, the integrity of, of the, the institution, supposedly of the DOJ and the FBI and the intel community and so on. But what integrity is there? I mean, what, what are they really protecting? It's it's even if even if John Durham or William Barr or whoever recommended prosecution of a Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton or even a, a flunky fall guy. Look who's in charge. It's Merrick Garland. You think Merrick Garland's going to kind of bring charges against these people? No, it's it's, it's ridiculous. So it's just, you know, the, the, you're right. Everything is so and I agree with you guys. Everything is so corrupted that it goes beyond even just just fixing this thing at the federal level when the institutions and the people in them are so corrupted that it's just I think it's beyond that. I think it's it's going to require a, a massive change of the way our government is structured and 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 the way that people are are trained or and this goes back even to schools that people are you know we, we are breeding people through the schools to be uh corrupt slaves to 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 an ideology that that has a will to power and that has no has no morals and no scruples and they swear fealty to a document that they hate so the constitution so where where do we go and and I think to what you said is, you know, what integrity do they have left to defend? Uh, the answer in reality, of course, is none. But the way I see this is I liken it to stage hypnosis. You know, you go to a magic show and there's a hypnotist and he'll turn some member of the audience into a chicken and another can hold a brick on her stomach or whatever. And I once read a definition of stage hypnosis that I thought was very apt, which was stage hypnosis is when the performer and the audience agree to make believe together. And that is the kind of institutional defense that they're doing. They know it's hopelessly corrupt. The press knows it's hopelessly corrupt. And a lot of people know that it's hopelessly corrupt, but they're never going to say that. They're going to pretend that it isn't and assume that they have mutual consent to engage in this game of make-believe. And that's reinforced by their captive propaganda outlets that masquerade as a free press that's also not free, but they pretend that it is. And this is all just fiction. They're all pretending together and hoping that if enough of them pretend together, that enough other people will go along for the ride and not question it. And so far, that's been a pretty good bet. Um, wow. Which is why these institutions, to your point, are hopelessly corrupt and, and why I think that most of the remaining work to be done is at the state level in favor of nullification. Just tell the feds to get bent and send the army if they want to object and, and see where that takes us. Well, I think that's absolutely the, the, the correct take. And we see what's going on in Florida, and that is that uh, Ron DeSantis is doing pretty much uh, what the people of Florida want him to do in terms of uh, the, the culture war. And I think he is winning it. And there isn't much the federal government can do absent, you know, an invasion. You know, the 101st Airborne la landing in Tallahassee is probably uh, not going to happen. In, but the, they won't ahead. do it over a purely state's issue, which is Ron DeSantis has been fairly careful. 
everything he's done has been firmly in Florida. And that's a good thing because it establishes his authority and reputation. What DeSantis hasn't done, and I think eventually it will have to happen. It probably won't be DeSantis who does it. He doesn't have enough time. But what eventually will have to happen is they'll have to tell the feds, keep your highway funding, we're not doing it, or we will not enforce this law, or we will not cooperate with federal agents in this state. Um, eventually, it will have to come down to a confrontation along those lines, I think. But what DeSantis has been doing is laying brilliant groundwork firmly within the state sphere. And um, I think that that's probably essential and shows a, a great path for anybody else who wants to gain power, influence, and popularity within a broader cultural movement. DeSantis has done a brilliant job. He's actually sent, maybe this is uh, sort of tangential to this or related, he sent, I believe, state troopers or his National Guardsmen to Texas to, to help Greg Abbott defend the border. So now we're talking yep. about international policy where they will butt head or foreign. It, it is foreign policy and or both foreign and domestic because it's an international border between or what was there. It's supposed to be an international border between Mexico and the United States. So him sending uh, his own troops there definitely will. Uh, yeah, that's not going to go unnoticed, and I'm sure it has not gone unnoticed with the federal government, uh, whether they send him a cease and desist or whatever, or, you know, interesting times yet ahead. It's actually more, it's it's much more than Florida. Um, I read recently that 27 governors have offered Texas assistance. Now, obviously, some of that is simply, simply talk, politically expedient thing to say, to appease the conservative base in, in whatever state that may be. But I'm going to assume that several of those offers are serious. And again, that speaks to what Joe has been talking about, that the, the, the path is through the states. And it's sad when you think about it, because the original construction of the United States was powerful states and a federal government that was structured to manage the relationship between those states. And of course, it has morphed since, well, since Abraham Lincoln into this behemoth that dominates what looks like 49 states out of the 50. So it, it would be interesting to, if you know someone like uh, or say say Ron DeSantis or Greg Abbott or and these other 27 governors if if they're seriously you know considering sending troops or at least backing him rhetorically or politically say listen uh, Mayor Adams up in uh, New York City you're fed up with us sending you these illegal aliens uh, because you, you declared yourself a sanctuary city. Well, here's the deal. Why don't you send some of your uh, NYPD or, you know, whatever down to the border to help us prevent them from coming up to you in the first place? And that sends, sets up a very interesting political <laughs> sort of uh, catch 22 that he has to sort of navigate through. Of course, he would object to that immediately. But then again, the citizens of of his state might say, hey, uh, you know, mayor, why don't you do that instead of displacing us in our own city? Why don't you help these people stop them from coming here in the first place? But then, of course, you have uh, the cognitive dissonance of liberals going, wait a minute, we're 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 pro we're pro amnesty. We're pro uh, immigrant, uh, undocumented immigrant. How can we possibly do this? And then, then yet again, here they are. They have to live with the consequences of, uh, you know, of their philosophy. So, interesting yeah, but, you people. know, the, the I think that the tone in the United States is shifting, whether it's shifting in reality or it's always been there and the media are finally reporting it. But even Andrew Cuomo came out in criticism of the governor of New York, who is clearly not assisting the city of New York of New York in dealing with these illegals. You know, you can argue all you want about the appropriateness of Abbott sending people up up into the Northeast. It makes me laugh, actually. But the reality is that the cities are not capable of handling this. And in the case of New York State, Hochul, who is a hack politician from way back uh, and apparently is now making noises about a national run in 2024, oh, which would be absolutely magnificent because she's a sleazy scumbag New York politician. Anyway, you repeat yourself. <laughs> the point is that even even Andrew Cuomo, who, you know, obviously he's disgraced, but he is coming out in support of a more rational policy uh, in dealing with illegals. And I think that the question of appropriateness of shifting illegal aliens around to punish your enemies is uh, sort of beside the point, because now the targets of that are getting in on the game, too. We remember from last year when um, I forget whether it was Abbott or DeSantis sent a big group of our betters from South America out to Martha's Vineyard, and they trucked them up right quick and sent them to Boston. But that is slightly different in flavor than what's happening now, which is Adams is 
sending his surplus illegal aliens to Albany. Now, that's a little bit different. That's another purely political move. That's not just get them out of my city. That's send them to bother the governor who is not supporting me in this. They're now playing exactly the same game. And I'm actually sort of thrilled that they are because now that talking point carries a lot less water. You're using these poor sanctuary seeking aliens as a, a political pawn by sending them to New York City. Oh, yeah, maybe so. But Eric Adams is using them as a political pawn by sending them to Albany. So much the better. That's a development that I have been chuckling about since I read about it, I think. Um, you know, akin, akin to that. To- I'm sorry, Joe, akin to what you and CBD were were saying with with this this sort of mood changing across the board of the electorate is that uh, there's a neighborhood in in, uh, on the south side of Chicago, the baddest part of town, uh, known as the South Shore, which is essentially it's it's basically 100 percent black, but it's black and working and middle class blacks. And the illegals that are being shipped up there are being trucked into their neighborhoods. And they are raising holy hell with both uh, Grootfoot and the new uh, mayor, this uh, worse than Grootfoot, uh, Brandon Johnson. And they are in an uproar about this. And this is good because these are hardcore constituent Democrats and always have been. But this policy is is one of those issues that if handled correctly by the GOP, uh, and, and that's a big if, it can shift the uh, shift voters our way. Uh, this, along with the whole transsexual madness and, yeah. and all of these things, have the potential to be really be uh, a game changer in a positive way for our party if they handle it correctly. And even if it doesn't shift them into the opposition camp, it might just cause them to walk away from the Democrat camp. Even if they don't support me, I'm fine with that if they're no longer supporting the left. And this is something I've been waiting for for a long time, because when you look at it economically, socially, demographically, the big threat of illegal immigration is poor working class whites and blacks, because those are the people who are being put out of work by this modern slave trade called illegal migration, illegal immigration, whatever you want to call it. And the fact that in Chicago, at least, maybe just because it was so in your face, they finally seem to be noticing that is a good thing, if especially if it can help erode support for the people who really push for this stuff. Uh, because in a lot of ways, black America, especially um, working class black America, has the most to lose as a result of this. I agree completely. However, to expand this point somewhat, Sefton's point about what is essentially an expansion of the culture war is valid. However, the Republican Party has been notoriously ham-handed in dealing with it. They are incapable of minimizing the dangerous issues and maximizing the obvious issues, such as the, the you know this transsexual insanity and the Southern invasion. And the example I'm going to use is abortion. I am pro-life. I think that abortion is a terrible, terrible thing. However, the glee with which some conservative activists are touting the, these huge victories, they're not so huge, but they are significant victories, is very dangerous because I think abortion more than any other single cultural issue can galvanize the left. And the left is very, very good at using it as a wedge issue. And they will drive people to the polls next November uh, or in 18 months, whatever the hell it is, using abortion. And you know something? They showed how to do it in 2022, and they kicked the shit out of the Republican Party using things like that. And I see nothing changing for the ne- in the next 18 months. I think the big, a huge factor in that, and yeah, perhaps taking a, a victory lap isn't, isn't helpful. I don't think it's maybe all that harmful. I think what's much more harmful is like what Lindsey Graham did. And I think he did it on purpose, which is to say, hey, now that Roe v. Wade is gone, it's time for federal legislation to take this issue away from the states again and impose our will through the federal, through, uh, the federal legislature. And I think that was deliberately designed to galvanize the left to harm Republican chances, because Republicans gloating that we got Roe v. Wade overturned and our trigger laws are in effect and and things are better now in the state of X is one thing, but a Republican politician's prominent ones going on television, leading up to election day and saying, 
You know, this was a, a great win for the pro-life movement and for the issue of states' rights. Let's undo the second and bluntly more important half of that and refederalize it on our own terms. That, I think, is what really pushes. It's that threat of top-down imposition of will from, from a Republican Congress that really would be more galvanizing, more motivating. And I think he did it on purpose. Yeah, Lindsey Graham is a saboteur. He's an absolute deep state idiot who's a, a warmonger and just and he's a horrible human being. He's just he's useless, completely useless and worse than useless, as you say, Joe, in this issue, in, on this issue and many other issues. Yeah, he, he talks a good game and he you know he mugs for the cameras during the you know when it was the Kavanaugh hearings and uh, maybe the, the, the Gorsuch hearings, Amy Coney Barrett and so on and so forth. But he's I mean please he's just he's get along go along uh, one of McConnell's flunkies and, and the deep state flunkies. You never do anything to reverse course uh, that, that we're on, unfortunately. But that said, the and I will I'll take a little bit of an issue with you on this one, CBD, on abortion as as the wrong thing to be pursuing. I don't necessarily think that it's a wrong thing to be pursuing. I think the culture war is the is the war is part of the broader political war. The problem is with the GOP is is not explaining it and not going into the details as opposed to even just gloating it and taking a victory lap. When when Dobbs is overturned, it's countering the message of the left saying, you know, whatever they, they want to keep women barefoot and pregnant and so on and so forth and take away the, you know, your your right to choose as opposed to saying, OK, what the right to choose what to fucking kill a baby? Pardon my French. When when the vulva is dilating and the water is breaking, the right to kill a baby that it survives an abortion and it's a viable human being, the right to kill an infant in the womb for whatever reason. That you want to do when it's when it's clearly a, a fully formed infant that can survive. At a certain point, you have to say no. This is what we stand for. This is wrong. Killing a baby right now is is morally the equivalent, you know, of changing your child's sex because the teacher thinks that your son is really a girl, and so on and so forth. We have to hit it home. We have to hit this out of the park because I think it is in in essence it is it can be a winning issue. Sure, it'll galvanize the left, but wouldn't taking the mantle of being pro saving and the sanctity of life be equally galvanizing to our side is the question I'm, I'm making. And it has to be, you have to control the language and control the messaging. Yep. I know it's difficult with the media the way it is, but people got to understand what's going on. And now we have this battle between DeSantis and Trump. And you know something at first, I kind of was on Trump's side saying, look, 21 weeks is, a, you know, come on, let's, let's try to just have some kind of a compromise on this issue. But now DeSantis is going for six weeks and you know, I'm going, and maybe there's a point in this because if the kid is fully formed and has a heartbeat, even at six weeks, which uh, I don't know, but someone's got to have this message that, look, you're killing a child, you're butchering the child. You have to be as a human being responsible for keeping your freaking wick zipped and your legs closed and to not just have free love or whatever it is and expect us. Oh, but what about rape? What about the, you know, the incest? What about you know, the life of the mother? Yeah, these are issues, but I think these are in the main. They're very, very, very few incest. Who knows? But the other things are few and far between. And at a certain point, you can't just all of a sudden say, I, I'm the victim of rape and I want this thing killed when your water is breaking and your vulva is dilating. Somebody's got to take a stand on it. So I will beg to differ on that regard. Go right I'm not I'm not arguing the moral imperative of ending abortion. I, I, as I've said in the past, I am pro-life and I agree with that stance. However, as I said, the ham-handed way the Republican Party goes about this is designed, it, it, obviously it is designed, as, as Joe Mannix just pointed out, to minimize Republican success in these elections. And that's extraordinarily dangerous. And I think that if we tamp down the abortion rhetoric, uh, at least through the 2024 election season, the Republican Party will have a much, much better chance of recovering some lost ground and perhaps even take the presidency, even though I, I'm not so sure about that. But this chaotic, you know, we got 21 weeks, let's go to abortion is hereby legal, uh, is hereby illegal in the United States as of right now is just insane because there is a discussion to be had. I think, um, Sefton, you pointed out, you know, uh, when the child is crowning, let's kill it is just insane. No, no, no. Actually, that's not insane. That's murder. But as we approach the moment of conception, I think rational people can have discussion. I know where I fall on in that discussion, but it, it's a discussion that we need to have in this country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. No, let, me, let me just finish. No doubt that, yes, we have to be. It is a political minefield. 
and they're going to be they're going to beat us to death with this going into 2024 because they smelled blood in the water from 2022 with this Janet Prostatukovich and who took a who they made Wisconsin uh, Supreme Supreme Court a majority a liberal now. But that said, we have to be the masters of the language. We have to stick it to them every chance we get. I know. And you pointed this out. This was in the sidebar on an unrelated issue, which we swerved in, swerved from, which was the border. Ted Cruz, who I'm no big fan of and we're not a big fan of uh, simply because he, you know, he goes along and gets along with the, the meme about January 6th. But he laid into the press and it was a master class of how to totally take the messaging away from them when they were on the border. And he said and he, he was great. So if we could translate Ted Cruz and Ron DeSantis. And DeSantis is, uh, you know, Christina Peshaw, who was his press uh, secretary, and, and even Trump, and boil their essence down to going after the, the left and the media and shoving their talking points down their throat and illustrating our talking points and saying, OK, you want to talk about abortion? Let's talk about it. We're willing to compromise. How about this? If the child survives a, a, an abortion procedure, or do you want to kill it or do you want to keep it alive and put it up for adoption? If it's after the third trimester, if it's into the kid crowning, do you still want to kill it or not? If it's two years after it's born, do you still want to kill it or not? Because that's what Obama's science advisor once had once uh, was proclaiming, that the kid can be killed up to two years because it's not really a human being. We have to be the masters of, of turning the tables on them. And if we could do it, if Ted Cruz could do it at the border, surely Ted Cruz can do it on abortion. Ditto every other GOP candidate. Joe, sorry. All good. I I think in terms of navigating it as a a political minefield, which it is, as opposed to a moral issue, which it also is, the most valuable thing, in my opinion, that the GOP could do is assert that it is not a United States national level policy issue. So in accordance with the finding in Dobbs, it's a state's issue. And the GOP is a pro-life party, and we will work within the states to find a reasonable compromise within those states. But nationally, this isn't something we're going to touch because it doesn't belong there. Take the talking point away from them and refocus the battle locally where that battle can be won. And that would be relatively easy to do and perfectly legally consistent with Dobbs. And it would uh, avoid things like the the Lindsey Graham debacle, which is they want to Lindsey Graham, the the senator from the South, wants to uh, impose his pro life puritanism on us up in New England. Things next, like that just yeah, take that exactly. talking point away. Exactly. And next comes Jim Crow. And I saw something else uh, keeping Jewish kids out of out of preschool. I mean, the the left is so so good at extrapolating these uh, seemingly innocuous comments from clueless Republican legislators and just exploding them into nonsense. But the thing is that 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 nonsense gets much more press than the innocuous comments from Republicans. You know, look at look at. I'm sorry. Look at look at. But here it is. Go back to. Let's take you back in the wayback machine to debate number one, question number one at the 2012 Republican debates. Here's George Stephanopoulos, which is ridiculous in and of itself, saying, asking, or just saying, basically giving a, are you are you still did you stop beating your wife? Question to Mitt Romney when he said, isn't it the GOP's position? Are you prepared to stop this position of trying to outlaw trying to outlaw contraception? And all of a sudden, a total bullshit talking point, which was never anywhere near the GOP, was was put out there. And that was from from day number one. So how do you again, it's combating even if we don't do anything, we're we're guilty of doing something. So and this is a GOP problem. Again, I say they've got to freaking learn how to, you know, whatever, fight back. Yeah, absolutely. The correct response to that is, excuse me, that's not one of our positions. And I challenge you to provide evidence right now that it is. Otherwise, blow me and move on to the next question, which is the correct <laughs> response to that. I can't blow you. I you don't agree. have a condom. <laughs> Well, let's take a little bit of a break. We'll be back in two seconds. CBD, Joe Mannix, JJ Septon, Cut Kid Newsletter Speaks. Stay tuned. And 
And we're back. The Cut Jig Newsletter Speaks Radio Network with CBD, JJ Sefton, and our special guest, the great Joe Manning. Uh, Joe, um, we are going to start with this uh, this segment on the, the abomination of what happened in the New York subway a couple of weeks ago, now with the indictment of who I consider a hero, a Marine named Daniel Penny, who subdued a maniac on the loose, who is being uh, touted as the next innocent George Floyd. Disgusting. And it is that. It's also... Uh, very craven. It's an obvious double standard and an obvious political hit. And what I, one of the things I find interesting about it is it's it's Emmanuel Goldsteining, him, right? Everybody knows Penny's name, and they know that he was an ex-Marine, and they know that he was white, and they know that that he done did it. But he wasn't the only one. It was a group effort, right? More than one person was engaged in trying to contain this person, threatening to do physical violence on people who could not escape because they were in a locked subway car. But they're not going after anybody else. It's because they are turning Penny into Emmanuel Goldstein, which is very typical and depraved, but it's also sort of par for the course. So it's they're turning him into a, a scapegoat for all the sins of all white men, uh, at least in New York City, for this particular transaction. And it's uh, blatantly unjust to indict this person for murder. I forget what, or did they indict him for manslaughter? I, I don't remember. I guess it's beside the point. When you had somebody with a literally captive audience threatening to do physical violence to them. That is appropriate to intervene. Should you try to necessarily kill the person who does that? Maybe not. Depends on circumstance. I'm not going to second guess it. I wasn't there. I don't know what I would do in such a situation. And I'll try to to give Penny the benefit of the doubt on that, that he probably didn't try to kill him. And it's tragic that he did. But it also is clearly shouldn't be something that's indicted. But they have a, a Soros DA. And there's a parallel to this now as well out of San Francisco, where there was somebody taking advantage of California's crime as legal policies, was storming through, I think, a Walgreens, threatened a security guard. Security guard put him down directly under attack. And the non-Soros DA in San Francisco, who I think he's new, um, <laughs> yeah. um, said, we're not going to we're not going to charge the security guard. And now San Francisco is appealing to the California state government to try to get an indictment. And this is, it's all the same game over and over and over again. And it's always unjust and it's always depraved. And if this is what it takes, and hopefully it will, there's some evidence that it will finally wake New Yorkers up and maybe cause them to rebel a little bit. This is similar to what happened with the bodega killing, I think late last year, maybe earlier this year where they were going to bring charges against the the store owner and then had to back down due to public pressure. Uh, And this time they've whipped up a lot more furor over it. But this kind of constant overextension is grossly unfair to people like Penny. But if there is a silver lining, maybe it will finally cause some folks in New York or enough more folks in New York to say, you know what, screw this and screw you. Don't know. I could see that as as a possible upshot. I guess we'll find out. I'm not so sure that that's going to happen in New York. Bodega guy was uh, oh, Dominican, I think, and um, Jose, Jose Alba. Got, yeah, he got to play the minority card. Absolutely. Yeah, he played the that's minority card, difference. and that that worked very very well for him. Now he didn't do it on his own. He, you know, the press did a, a fine job of highlighting that, probably by mistake. Had they realized what kind of public support they're going to galvanize, they wouldn't have done it. But uh, Mr. Penny is about as white as it gets, and he is going to be a much much more difficult. A man to convince um, uh, New York he, he did a good thing. You know, I, I'm again, it's anecdotal evidence at best, but there, I think the Times ran an article where there were literally it was this sort of vomit-inducing uh, propaganda, horrible propaganda piece extolling the virtues of the victim, the Michael Jackson impersonator, while totally ignoring his his lengthy rap sheet, including violent assaults of sucker-punching elderly people and threatening death to other people, literally an attempted murder and so on and so forth. And, you know, the, the comments that were down there were almost universally, I think they, the Times had to shut, that, shut the comments down, were, were basically ripping the New York Times a new one, saying uh, total, totally justified, etc. And this, these are Times readers, by the way. And they, they stopped the comment. Again, this is an anecdotal story. But again, the other thing with the, the Jose Alba incident was that 
although I believe it was caught on videotape on surveillance camera, the assailant was and, and Alba were actually literally in a death struggle, both with a knife. And it was Alba who, who came out on top. What happened was this maniac in the subway car was threatening and he was building and escalating and he was doing his, his, his ranting and raving. And uh, Daniel Penny and the others were sitting and, and watching and not doing anything for a very protracted period of time until finally Daniel Penny said, as soon as the point where he threw his jacket down and started threatening people and threatening physical harm, that's when he and the other two gentlemen uh, leapt into action and restrained him. They did not intend to kill him. There was, there could not have been any attempt, att- uh, intention or pre- premeditated malice of forethought to kill this guy. They just wanted to hold him in place while the police, who of course, again, were nowhere to be found, could come and take this guy away. Again, it's, it's very, very, it's on video where he has him in the headlock. And that's all these uh, the, the activists and the crazies have to see white man strangling a black guy, as this Lopecia Presley animal says, it was a lynching. I mean, give me a break. I mean, that, that's what they wanted. So, it, again, I think <sighs> CBD, I don't know. I mean, a jury, of course, are going to handpick the jury to kill this guy and to lynch him, really lynch him. You know, he'll never get a fair trial in New York City or New York State, I don't think. Uh, maybe New York State, maybe upstate somewhere, but never get a fair trial. And Alvin Bragg is all about not having a fair trial. It's going after Donald Trump. My God, that's been put off for, for whatever on, on phony trumped up charges of, uh, you know, years ago. You know, the, the, what is it? The, the non-disclosure agreement with us, with Sloppy Daniels. But yeah, yeah this, a, this is a lynching. This is a lynching. It's all yeah. on a, a nice note. His legal defense fund, which is on Give, Send, Go, uh, has raised uh, more than two and a half million dollars so far. Um, so Mr. Penny is going to be able to get a reasonable defense. So, you know, that, that and I think well that it does. And I think that also speaks to what you were saying a little bit earlier before the break, CBD, about how this is so many things are now essentially informal fronts in the culture war. This is one guy take strip away the politics of it. This is one guy who is being railroaded by the New York City judicial system or, or prosecutorial system. That's not the kind of thing that gets national or international attention. And that's not the kind of thing that typically raises millions of dollars. Prosecutorial misconduct in New York City, what's another day, right? But this one did. And it's because a lot of people nationwide, not just in New York, and perhaps maybe especially not in New York, but everywhere else, know what this is, which is that this is outright tyrannical destruction of a man for political reasons. And they're responding to that. And that's it's unusual. That's new. And I think that speaks to the sort of everything is now a front in the culture war point yep. that, that you were at least tangentially making a little bit earlier. Well, you made yeah, it better than I did. But uh, so thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> just just as an aside, gentlemen, the one thing that I that I that is curiously missing from uh you know, from Daniel Penny is where, where are these guys that are dressed, you know, uh, blue golf shirts and khaki pants and white balaclavas uh, known as the Patriot Front? You don't see them marching on on, on the New York City jails to, to free Daniel Penny. You don't see them rioting. Gee, I wonder well, why. Wink, wink. Have you seen <laughs> have you seen the travel costs to get that many people from Quantico to New York City? It's just it's not yeah, worth they, it. They don't have the budget. Um, <laughs> yeah, they don't have the budget. <laughs> um, yeah, they can drive yeah, their own cars. And, you know, that's 50 yeah, cents a mile, but uh, yeah, the, to get to New York, yeah, is, is, it's... The FBI is waiting for the debt ceiling to be raised so they can afford to send the guys to New York City. Yeah, send winter. the Gulf Stream. Send the Gulf Stream. That's <laughs> oh, God. What a joke. All right. So uh, let we're, we're running long, as we usually do. So uh, I've, I've got a, a list of, uh, of some interesting uh, and odd things going on in the, in the news, and I'm just going to bounce them off Sefton and Joe Mannix. Um, so the first one that I saw was that Sports Illustrated put a trans uh, woman, uh, you know, a a dude playing a a chick named Kim Petras on one of their swimsuit edition covers. And I took a look at the cover uh, because, you know, I do the tough work. And you know something? Kim Petras is not attractive. It looks she it. I mean, well, he he looks suspiciously like a dude wearing a fucking bikini and not even a good looking dude. So what the hell are they thinking? I mean, talk about culture war, Sports Illustrated, teenagers across the world masturbate to this. And now they put a guy on the cover. 
No more. Well, one of the covers. It's all it's all subversion for its own sake at this point. And it, even when they this thing they've started doing, and I don't know when Sports Illustrated started this. Um, we have multiple cover models thing. I, I think it was several years ago. I don't know, but it's sometimes it's a tranny. Sometimes it's an eighty-year-old Martha Stewart who, for an eighty-year-old woman, looks pretty good, but she's not SI swimsuit edition cover model material i think it's just it's subversion for its own sake they've lost the plot completely and now it's just reflex sports illustrated right now can be changed changed its name to uh, schwanz illustrated because uh and and well, all they did was uh, along with miller light now they've they've, they've gone the, the bud light route here guys uh you think you think you want to destroy your company here hold my beer i'll hold your beer and i'll destroy it this is ridiculous. This is just, this, I mean, you've got to be insane to do this, or you've got to be so ideologically brainwashed, whoever is making these decisions, to do it, regardless of the fact that Anheuser-Busch lost $6 billion on, and, and destroyed the, the greatest, the biggest selling beer uh, in America and turned it into a joke, and probably all its other brands are going to go the same way. Miller now, all of a sudden, is doing a mea culpa and doing, a, you know, a, what is it, uh, you know, the, the cultural revolution the struggle session with its old ads and forswearing their so-called, you know, misogyny in the old ads and, and, and this and that. And they're doing the same thing. So now Sports Illustrated, whoever owns the magazine, the publishing company, I have no idea. But there's no reason to do this. The only reason to do this is that whoever is in charge is ideologically driven. They're out of their mind and they don't care. And, and that's the name of the game. It's going to get to a point where... You know, you can call for a ban. We banned Anheuser-Busch and we banned Nike. And now you're going to ban Sports Illustrated. The list is so long now that give me a list of the companies that I don't want to ban, you know, for, for whatever the reasons. But there's okay, no, but, but let's let's back up a little bit. So that's a perfect segue into what Joe Mannix wrote today about about exactly this. And he may, he said something very interesting, and that is that corporations should be afraid of their customers. And I think that's a very, very important point. The, the problem is that these corporations have forgotten who their customers are. So I'm looking at a, uh, a list of the hottest Sports Illustrated uh, swimsuit issues. And, you know, the list of women on it is unbelievable. Bar Raffaelli and Brooklyn Decker and Kate Upton. Up yeah, really, Chris, really Chris beautiful Chris, women. Yeah. And, and coincidentally, they sold a lot of those issues. So the question is, what happened between 15 years ago and today that, allowed Sports Illustrated to stop being afraid of their customers and start paying attention to these ridiculous woke tropes that just simply do not make sense to any sentient human being. I don't know that they should be afraid of their customers. You're supposed to respect your customers. You're supposed to know your customer. I mean, if you want to be sort of uh, cynical about it, yeah, you want to try to bamboozle your customer and fake them out, and, you know, do whatever it is to to make them buy uh, to make them buy your product, whether you whether you like your product or don't like your product. If you're being handed, and I had this experience when I was in marketing and advertising, I had a brand, and I'm not going to name the brand, that was a very small niche brand, and they were basically appealing to older white males. All of a sudden, this brand was glommed onto by the you know by the black market, by the urban market, and they. They literally didn't know they were being handed gold on a silver platter. And they fought us tooth and nail in creating advertising to appeal to this market. You know, and finally they said, okay, let's do it. And they made millions and millions of dollars where they never would have made it before. But it took them kicking and screaming. You can call them racist, you can call them whatever, but damn it, man. If you don't like it, just shut your mouth. Just make the money hand over fist, shut your mouth and be glad they're, you know, they're handing it to you on a silver platter. But now all of a sudden, you know, they're just it's Anheuser-Busch and, and Sports Illustrated saying F you to their customer base and destroying it. Ridiculous. Yeah, ideally, the co these companies should respect their customers. Barring that, I'll take fear. And the reason I think that fear is necessary right now is they are afraid of woke capital and they are afraid of their internal activists and they're afraid of those guys way more than they're afraid of their customers so in order to get them to change their ways they need to be destroyed and they need to serve as object lessons for other companies that might be paying attention which is okay i don't respect my customer i think my customer sucks i think my customer is a fratty low-class guy but boy am i afraid of him i'll take that for now Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Hold on one second. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to read a quotation from Joe Mannix's 
Wednesday morning rant on Ace of Spades. Um, that is, destroy enough value at enough companies to make them fear you at least as much as they fear the others. Maintain the pressure on a single target, Alinsky style. Reduce it to a shambling zombie, then move on to another one. Everything is woke now, so it's a target-rich environment, and it doesn't really matter where you start. AB InBev is as good a place as any. That's what the conservative movement should do. That, in a nutshell. You can't boycott everybody, but you can crush them one company at a time. Joe, that is a vitally important point. I agree with that. I mean, you would think, and I'll just set the Wayback Machine again to 1985, you would think people would have understood what happened to Coca-Cola when they, when they came up with new and improved Coke. Whether that was a publicity stunt or whether that was a premeditated stunt to get people angry enough to demand the classic Coke or to, you know, to feed into the so-called Cold Wars that were going on, on at the time, no one knows. But if you just take it at face value that they, they did a bonehead maneuver, they paid a price for it. And ultimately, you know, they listened to their customers and they got the fear of God in them. And they brought classic Coke out as classic and kept it along the new one until they finally got rid of the new one. But yeah. but the point is taken. Yes, they should. You know, and I, and I brought this up in a previous podcast where I feel bad for the, you know, the line worker, the bottling guy at the bottling plant who's he has no no decision in this. And he would probably he was cringing probably when they were doing this with Dylan Mulvaney and whatever. But again, it's too bad that, that the innocent people at a company have to suffer and perhaps lose their jobs if the company goes tits up because of this boneheaded maneuver. But you know something? As the as the saying goes, if you want to make an omelet, you're going to have to break some eggs. Sorry to have to say that. Let's move on to uh, a couple of very, very amusing things. The Daily Wire has two articles. Uh, the title of one is John Fetterman clearly struggles through questions <laughs> at Senate hearing. Well, gee, what a surprise. And the, and the next one is even better. Feinstein doesn't recall being absent from the Senate. She was gone for 10 weeks. <laughs> so we have 100 men. Uh, 100 men and women in, in the United States Senate, supposedly the greatest del- deliberative body in the, in the history of the world, which is a total and complete lie. Two of them, at least, are fucking senile or brain damaged. It's clear. This is obvious. These people should be invited to leave. And if they're if, and if they don't leave on their own, then I mean, they can't be recalled by the state, but they can be sanctioned by the by the Senate, they can be taken off all their committees. They can be put into a corner and wear and wear a dunce cap. But this is indicative of the unseriousness of the United States Senate. It's just a perfect, perfect glimpse into the childishness that it has devolved into. Oh, I think you need to broaden your scope a little, CBD. It's indicative <laughs> of it's indicative this exact same kind of insanity everywhere in American government, man. Like it's it's everywhere. This is just the sort of cherry on top. And after the whole Fetterman thing so far, thing to date, I never want to hear the words candidate quality again as long as I live. <laughs> I will say this. You guys are missing the uh, 400-pound uh, tub of uh, Ben & Jerry's uh, Rachel Corey Crunch in the room here, and that is our glorious president, uh, quote-unquote, uh, Joey Spongebrain Shitspants. Here's a guy who's, who's sundowning, sundowning by the minute, the leader of supposed leader of the free world. The guy is – but, of course, he's a figurehead. He's a total cutout. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing with Fetterman, the same thing with, in a way with Feinstein. They just want a warm seat. You know, to, to, to make sure that they, they keep that they keep that Senate seat. Now, now, of course, California is probably uh, I cannot see in, in, in my lifetime and I'm 63, uh, however many years I have left uh, going forward is ever going to have a Republican senator ever again, let alone someone who is relatively, you know, not relatively normal. But that's all they want here. And unfortunately, Pennsylvania is probably going. I had to hate to say it may very well be going the same route as California. If all things be, but yeah, this is ridiculous. We have these senescent corpses that are running around. You get, you have more freaking brains probably, you know, in, in the day room in your local nursing home than you do in the Senate and in the White House. And it's crazy. And that's not only because of the elderly people, but because of the ideologically driven young people like Titicaca, AOC, and all these other freaks, geeks, and morons and Marxists that are that are destroying our country before our eyes. You don't have to be. You don't have to be senile to destroy a destroy country, but I guess it helps. Um, you just have to be Marxist. So, I mean, it, I can't, I'm just apoplectic and with laughter at this point. And meanwhile, here's the really irritating thing. Love him, hate him, hate what he did. 
This guy, George Santos, they're going after him tooth and nail to get rid of him because he, he quote unquote, fudged his his uh, his resume when, or lied about you know, his, his resume before he got elected. The only reason we want to get rid of him is to get rid of a Republican congressman. And we already have a tenuous grasp in that house. We can get rid of him and install another Democrat. It totally screws us up for the next two years and beyond. And that the hypocrisy on that is just, you know, him lying. And then you look at someone like Joe Biden, who spent the last half century lying literally every other word out of his mouth was it? I mean, and a big one and a gross one. Plus he's a criminal and a crook. But but of course George Santos has to go. I mean give me Abraham. Well they're they're going after Santos for for uh, two instances of cheating on some uh, government transfer payment, a welfare oh. checks of of around five hundred dollars each. I, I might be wrong, but it, I'm certainly not off by more than a factor of, a, of two or three. And I find that fascinating because you know the Justice Department sure jumped on that one pretty quickly, whereas the unbelievable corruption in all parts of the rest of government is conspicuously ignored. So. Maybe uh, they, they're you know, not that, even pretending anymore. No, they're really not. It's it's unbelievable. Let's just wrap it up. Thank you very, very much, Joe Mannix. Uh, as usual, you have been a pleasure saying um, things uh, better than I can. That's for damn sure. <laughs> well, yes, thanks Joe, for having me have, again. It's always a pleasure. Yes, Joe, you have been a pleasure. I've been an inconvenience, but uh, there, you, there you have it. I've been rambling and, and, uh, and going on and on. But anyway... Uh, CBD, Joe Mannix, uh, another fascinating, scintillating, crackling hour with humor and uh, pathos and and, uh, you name it. And this has been the Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks podcast. For CBD and Joe Mannix, it's JJ Sefton. Uh, Hopefully we'll have a couple of very special guests, uh, surprise guests coming up uh, in the near future. So stay tuned for that. Keep the cards and letters coming. And thank you so much for hitting the tip jar and uh, and your generous uh, donations. Uh, it really is appreciated. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Thanks for listening, folks.